0: Uh, Just spending a a few minutes uh, thinking about the uh, love of God. We're spending a few weeks, in fact, should I say. Not a few minutes. Um, That's far too short. Um, Thinking about God's love for us um, as we get towards the summer. Uh, Summer's already almost here? Good. I'm growing as excited about summer as I'm about Christmas. So that's good news for you all, isn't it? Um, Look forward to hearing about that more next year. Anyway, um, we're thinking about love and God's love um, over these few weeks. Uh, What is love? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, One singer in the uh, early 90s asked the question, What is love? and then ended the quote with, uh, Baby, don't hurt me. So uh, he obviously hasn't a great experience. Some would say that love is a cultural phenomenon. Others would say that it's simply a chemical reaction. Others would say that it's simply instinct inbuilt in us to make sure the human race continues to breed and grow. But what is love? A few quotes for you. Joan Crawford said that love is a fire. It's good, isn't it, some of you here, you know, you know the fire of love, it burns passion and all that. Um, but she then went on to say, but whether it's going to warm your heart or burn down your house, you can never quite tell. Oh dear, that's not good, is it? That's not a good start, is it? <laughs> so <then> again. <laughs> I left too much for gap, didn't I, for the punchline, sorry. Uh, somebody else wrote, what is love? In English, it's a language. In maths, it's a problem. In history it's a war, in geography a mountain, in chemistry a reaction, in painting a heart. Somebody else wrote that, forget love, I'd rather fall in chocolate. (laughs) Oh good, I was concerned there. And somebody else wrote this, that love is is wildly misunderstood, although highly desirable malfunction of the heart, which weakens the brain, causes the eyes to sparkle, the cheeks to glow, Blood pressure to rise and the lips to pucker. And uh, you can all stare at David and Claire as they get ready for their wedding, see if their (laughs) lips are puckering and their everything else, but maybe wait till after the service. Um, But most people would answer, love is simply an emotion. But that's not quite correct, is it? Love isn't quite just an emotion, is it? Because real love, proper love, is only really love when that emotion becomes an action, when that emotion is expressed tangibly in an action I've heard uh, many a husband uh, comment I don't need to tell my wife that I love her I don't need to buy her flowers I don't need to be romantic and all that sort of stuff she knows deep down lucky lady (laughs) perhaps but so often people say I don't need to show love but actually you do because real love isn't love until it's expressed in action until now, our series, we've seen two things about the love of God. Uh, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we've seen that he is love. His nature, his being is love. That is his character. We've seen from Ephesians 3 last week that his love is limitless, is unfathomable, although you can know it, you can experience it. But so far, everything we've said has been quite hypothetical. But the real question, the most important question when we think of God's love, is like all relationships, how can I be sure that God actually loves me? How can I be sure that all the love you talk about is mine to experience? And we're looking this morning at a book called Romans in the New Testament. It comes after the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, which I hope you have, um, they're a good thing to have on a Sunday. Um, Just to open it up to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8. So if you're in the New Testament... um, it's uh, just after Acts, you've got the four Gospels, and Acts, and then the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. It may or may not it will appear behind me, there we are. And, uh, and I'll read these verses to you, chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. Paul writes this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, uh, Romans, if you've never read it, is a great book. Um, It's a great book, quite academic. Um, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, preparing them for his visit that he hopes to make. And he's seeking to lift them up spiritually, edify them through this amazing work, this theological work, which seeks to explain salvation in the most wonderful, clear, deep, unique way. Chapter 5 is part of our explanation about Jesus' death on the cross and what that does for us and to us. And when you get a moment, I encourage you to read verses 1 to 5 of Romans chapter 5. It really is a wonderful thing. If you're going through a hard time and you're a Christian, uh, meditate on those few verses because they really are good. Don't do it now. Do it when you get home. Um, we're looking at uh, 6, 7, and 8. But it's part of his explanation. And these three verses I've just read tell us three really important things about God's love. Again, three other things that we've not looked at so far. And the first thing we learn from verse 6 is when God first started to love us. That's the very first thing we read. Verse 6 says, you see, at just the right time. That's a really interesting phrase. Um, You may not think so. I find uh, that phrase really interesting. At just the right time. Christ died for us. Christ came into the world. And that phrase actually refers to a particular period of history when Jesus was born and when he came and died and lived amongst us. But it also refers to that moment in our own lives when he loved us. And some of you here this morning, uh, maybe you're just beginning to discover the love of God in Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know anything about it, but there's something about being here this morning that's touched your heart. Or maybe you're asking big questions and you're thinking, is there a God? Does he love me? Well, maybe it's no coincidence that you're here this morning. Maybe it's no coincidence that those questions and this building, this service have come together at the same time. Because God enters our life at just the right time. I became a Christian at just the right time. At 11 years old. I needed my, my saviour in all the years that followed. I need him now, but it was just at the right time. And maybe this morning it's just the right time for you to take that step and ask Jesus into your life and actually know the love of God yourself. Don't put him off. Don't put him off until the wrong time because now may well be the right time. So he elaborates in verse 6, Paul. He says, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And this verse here is really important because it tells us that when we were both ungodly and powerless to be anything else, God loved us. That word ungodly isn't just a, an old fashioned way of describing Christians or non-Christians, that we're all the godly ones and they're all the ungodly ones. It's not simply a, a way of characterizing people. The word ungodly refers to a time in our lives when we were totally anti-God. Um, in chapter 8, verse 7, um, we read this word. These, these verses, this verse even. Uh, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit. To God's law, nor can it do so. In Colossians chapter one, verse 21 trying see if Kevin's going to beat me. Uh, there we It says, "And you, being in time past alienated and enemies in your mind, in all your evil works." And so we know that before we knew Jesus Christ, we were ungodly, and that didn't just mean sinful; it meant actually being anti-God, actually being against His ways. And you may not feel it. But you know if you're ungodly because you don't want to worship him you don't want to submit to him and the point about that is that this ungodly state means it actually talks about having a, no reverence towards God or actually having a heart that condemns him condemns the things of God And you meet people don't you that will say God what a load of old rubbish who wants to believe in some God in the sky that lets wars happen and disease happen what sort of God is that they're condemning him they're saying I could do a better job he's rubbish If there is a God, he's not a very good one. A few months ago, uh, you may have uh, seen a clip of Stephen Fry. He was asked a a question. If you were to meet God face to face, what would you say to him? I want to play you a really short clip because everything he's about to say kind of sums up uh, what this word ungodly means, this anti-God, this condemning God. So just watch this for about a minute.
1: Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations. Suppose it's all true, Mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates, and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as theodicy, I think, I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid god who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it, because the Greeks were... They didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle. I'll
0: stop there, he goes on and on, he gets more and more angry. And the reason I show you that, um, and it's easy as a Christian to condemn Stephen Fryer, and I do not condemn Stephen Fryer one tiny bit, but that heart that he has at this precise moment in his life, that he's only too happy to express, is actually to a lesser or greater degree the one we all had before we first met Jesus Christ. Paul writes in these verses, actually, that when or if we have a venomous hatred of God or even a passionate condemnation of him like Stephen Fry does, he still loves us. He loves Stephen Fry and so should we. Um, Just think about that for a minute. As Stephen Fry said those terrible words about God, quite firing straight from the hip, as he uttered those words of passionate condemnation about a stupid, maniac God, At that precise moment, in the eyes of eternity, Christ was hanging on a cross for Stephen Fry. God, as he said those words, was passionately loving that man, desperate for his salvation, desperate for his redemption, desperate that he could call him son, child, and enter his family and find forgiveness and love. That's how God loves, we discover from Romans chapter 5. While we are still powerless, while we're enemies of God, and didn't want to be anything else but he still loved us and this is absolutely awesome that God actually loves his enemies he doesn't it doesn't mean that sin goes unpunished but it means that right up until that final moment when it's too late to ask Jesus into your life and be saved for eternity up until that final moment of death it means that the very worst person on this planet is loved by God And it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely obscene. How could you love someone that despised you? How could you love someone that clearly hates you? No person in their right mind would do it. And as Paul goes on in verse 7, he makes this very clear point. He says in verse 7 that, you know, in the world we might die for someone who was good, who was decent, who deserved it. But you wouldn't die for your enemies he says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God uh, demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, human self sacrifice so often determined needs an intrinsic worth in its object. I would die for my children, my wife my friends why because they mean something to me there's something in them that makes me want to respond with love and sacrifice but I would not die for my enemies nor would you of course you wouldn't it's crazy but God died for his enemies God loved his enemies God loves people that hate him God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not die but have everlasting life with God's love There is no prior demand, oh, not even basic goodness. His love, Christ's death, transcends all other human sacrifice. You see, God doesn't love you because of anything in you. God loves you despite everything in you. He loved you before the world was made. He loved you long before you even thought about loving him. And he loves you with an everlasting, eternal love. And some of you here this morning will feel unloved, Some of you here this morning will feel lonely. Some of you here this morning will wonder if anyone's ever going to fill that gap again. Well, let me tell you right here, right now, you need to experience the love of the almighty God. Because it is ridiculously amazing. Because it starts where no one else would ever dream of start to love you. He loves you even if you hated him or if you hate him. God's love is life changing zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says the lord your god is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exalt over you with loud singing 1 peter chapter 5 verse 6 and 7 says humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you he loves you. Psalm eighty-six, verse fifteen says, "But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness." When did God start loving you? Long before you started loving Him, and that is amazing. Second thing we learn from these verses is how God loves us. We saw earlier that real love is not real love until it's demonstrated through action. And in verse 8, we read these words. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the cross, yes, God was saving us. Jesus was paying the cost of our sin. His righteousness for our wrongs. His innocence for our guilt. His life for our death. But he was doing something else as well. He was demonstrating the intense, passionate Powerful scope that God loves you with. There's a picture on the cross behind me, or it will be, and the cross is the epitome, the focus of the greatest show of God's love for all human beings the godly and even the ungodly. The cross reminds us that God's love isn't something that we can desire or earn, and when we accept it, it is not something we can lose. It is truly unique. Just consider a God who made all things good, all things for his glory, should send his only son into this world that he made, that turned its back on him, so that he would be disrespected, humiliated, spat on, beaten, nailed to a cross, just so those very same people that hate him could be forgiven, transformed, and the power of sin could be broken in their lives. Death could lose its sting because he loved them even though they hated him and some of you here this morning will have heard that phrase all your lives god loves you god loves you god loves you right the way back to sunday school if you went when you were a child and some of you here even though you've heard it for hundreds of thousands of times still don't believe it still can't accept that god could love you well let me tell you that's exactly what he does because he loves to love everybody even the worst and he loves you and your challenge will be to accept that love and live in the light of it that will be your life's challenge in fact and I urge you to accept his love so that you don't live with regret right to the very end so we see how God loved us when God loved us but there's one more thing why God loved us the purpose of his love. What was the reason for the cross? Uh, Yes, God loves us because it's in his nature. Yes, he made us and we're his and he wants to show us his love. But there was a reason for that amazing demonstration of Jesus on the cross. And it's the reason for the book of Romans, the reason for chapter five of Romans. And we see it in verse one and verse nine. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse nine. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He died on the cross to justify us in his own sight. We speak of justification by faith as Christians. And that simply means that before we knew Jesus Christ, we were wrong in the sight of God. We were broken. We were on the wrong side of God, if you like. But when we became Christians and accepted Jesus by faith, we were made right and righteous in the sight of God, we were justified before God. And the reason God demonstrated his love for us on the cross wasn't just because he really, really, really loves us, but it's because he really, really, really wants to change us. From that position of powerlessness and ungodliness to righteousness and wholeness. You see, the purpose of God's love is to change and transform, to give eternal life, forgiveness and hope. But that love demands a response. It doesn't just come to you passively. You have to ask Jesus into your life to know it for yourself. And so I'm going to give you a chance right now if you don't know Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand or come to the front, but I'm going to pray a prayer because at just the right time, and this morning might be just the right time for you to know Jesus Christ properly. Some of you would have been to church for donkey's years, but never actually asked Jesus into your life. They are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Church attendance doesn't get you into heaven. Only Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to make Jesus your Saviour, you can repeat. You can repeat it out loud if you feel very brave. Or just repeat it in your heart. But if you do say it, please, please speak to me afterwards. And I want to talk with you and pray with you and chat some more. So let's just say this prayer and repeat it in your mind if you want to make it your own. Father God. I thank you that you sent Jesus. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose again on the third day. I believe that he is alive. Lord, forgive me for all the things I've done that are wrong. And I want to invite Jesus to be my saviour this morning. Be my king. Be my God. Let me know your love. And be Lord of my life. Amen. If you prayed that, please come and speak to me afterwards because it's the beginning of an amazing journey where you will discover just how much God loves you and how life-changing it really is. And so we finish two challenges. We talk of God's love, but let me just give you two challenges this morning. The first is to believe. Uh, Some of you this morning, I want you to do one thing this week, one very simple thing. I want you to go home and type out Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And some of you here this morning that struggle with knowing that God loves you, I want you to print that out, put it in your Bible, put it on the fridge, put it in the bathroom mirror, put it anywhere that you look at every day. And before you go off to work or school or the Haley Center or for a walk or whatever you're doing this week, say that out loud and say to yourself, I believe that. And and pray that God will help you stake your life on it. Let that verse color your day. And one final thing for the rest of us this week, just think about those people you love and ask yourself, how can I demonstrate my love for those people? If you're married this morning, um, this is where I get a personal, Um, why not do something, your wife or husband that you've not done for a while, a love letter, a post-it note, a bunch of flowers, um, perhaps not for the men, unless you like flowers, that's okay, I'm not judging. Um, But actually, do something for your other half, go on a date night, or simply have a cuddle, and just say, I love you, you're awesome. Why not? If you've got children, why not actually put down the modern-day idol? Shut the newspaper. Put the work away. It will be there. Trust me tomorrow. Trust me. It doesn't go away. And actually have half an hour with them. Go for a walk. Go get an ice cream. If they're younger children, why not actually sit them down and rather than, oh, daddy loves you, on the head, pat on the head, look them in the eye and say, I love you. Such a great boy, such a great girl, so lucky to have you in my life. Why not actually do something really direct? And if you 've got slightly older children, you may want to think of a uh, more appropriate way, but something with them that so they know they love you. And if you 've got uh, parents that are still alive, maybe if you're a bit younger and your parents are a bit younger as well, why not do something for them? They have sacrificed for you since the day you were born, without anything in return, uh, sometimes with're just shouting and, uh, and that sort of thing. But actually, why not this week? Do something that makes them feel that actually you appreciate what they've done for you your entire life. If you've got friends, pick up the phone. If you've got neighbours, why not drop a cake in or something that just says, I love you. Demonstrate your love. And one final challenge for every single one of us, do not spend this week only loving your friends. If you really want to be like Jesus Christ, I challenge all of us to actually love our enemies this week as well. Because that's what he's been doing from day one let's pray father god we just thank you for this morning thank you lord for the privilege of being here lord the privilege of uh, worshiping you lord privilege of praying to you privilege of looking at your word father god but i thank you above all of that that you love us lord there's nothing in us that should cause you to love us yet because we're your creation because it's in your very nature lord there is a love out there that is greater than any other And Lord, this week, may we dare to believe it. May we dare to let your love colour our lives. And Lord, also, may we be brave enough to show love to those that we allegedly love. And so they will be completely without any doubt. But Lord, let us love our enemies as well. I pray that you would help us to love like you, to know your love. In Jesus' name. Amen.